From the Medical Republic, I'm Francine Crimmins. This is The Tea Room. With a lack of access to COVID-19 vaccinations threatening global immunity, the Immunisation Coalition is urging Australians to help close the global COVID vaccination gap by donating to UNICEF in a bid to improve access in lower-income countries. According to the Chair and Director of the Immunisation Coalition Scientific Advisory Committee, Professor Robert Boy, the vaccination disparity represents a significant global issue. This episode, we are joined by Professor Boy and Professor Gary Groman, who's the director at the Immunisation Coalition, to talk about vaccine disparity between high and low income countries and what we can do about it. Welcome, Professor Boy and Professor Groman, to the Tea Room. Great to be with you. Yeah, thanks very much for having us. This week, the Immunisation Coalition has issued an urgent plea to Australia to help close the vaccination gap by donating to the international vaccine efforts through UNICEF. To date, obviously, there's been great inequity in this pandemic in how the proportion of disease burden in certain communities, but now, again, with the vaccine rollout. Professor Boy, could you maybe talk a little bit about this? Well, there's a lot of vaccine now available in the world, but most of it has gone to rich people and rich countries, where examples like the UK and the US have more than 50% of their population fully vaccinated, whereas the poorest countries in the world have 1% or 2% of their population fully vaccinated. We need to even things up. And in what ways is the Immunisation Coalition planning to help in this regard? Maybe, Professor Groman, you can answer that. Our best way to help is to ask people to donate and this rather nice idea, which came through Robert, in fact, um, and perhaps some others, is is, a very, very good initiative because it means that the people in the community in Australia, if they get a vaccine, can be prompted also to give back. And one of those uh, vaccines or more, depending on how much you donate, will help a developing country. Uh, This will in turn help us in the long run because the more people that get vaccinated around the world, then the less likely it is we'll get variants and more mutations and so on and we'll stem the uh, tide, which is, as Robert already pointed out, growing uh, significantly in places where they don't have enough vaccine. So at the moment, Australia is in a very fortunate position where most of us can go to a vaccination clinic or to our local GP and get the vaccination and any associated consult for free. Obviously, if you are in a more privileged position where you can spare some money, what what amount can people give, say, after their vaccination that would help someone else overseas get vaccinated? What's really simple and I think quite exciting is that giving only $10 is enough to pay for another person to be fully vaccinated with two doses. So you can make a contribution that's relatively small with big effect. But if you wanted to donate $200, you could protect 20 people. Now, if lots of people did that, we could have a huge impact um, on providing vaccines to the two-thirds world, the four or five billion people who need vaccination for whom only enough has been promised for one billion And more generally, what about Australia and other Western countries over commitment to the vaccine rollout and actually buying up 
millions and millions of doses globally and what that means for people living in low-income countries? Well, I I think um, it's certainly a good strategy in the sense that we will ensure vaccination for our population but also our region. And Australia has bought these vaccines not only to vaccinate Australia but also people in the region. So you might see already um, the government's announced donations of vaccines to various countries around Australia. And that's important for our regional presence. Uh, But also it means we can give two doses to everyone in Australia and uh, we can also provide boosters in the future. But I'd like the fact that Australia um, is not just keeping all the vaccine themselves. They will donate uh, vaccines where it's needed. New Guinea is a recent example, but also some of the other countries around Australia, including Indonesia, will all receive um, vaccine from Australia. Uh, in due course. It will take time. I mean, most of the vaccines we've ordered are actually on paper and they haven't really arrived yet, but they will arrive by the end of the year um, and uh, then we'll be able to help everyone. Um, but this initiative will be, is fantastic because, as Robert points out, $10 can go a long way, 100 or $200 can go a very long way uh, and can really make a big difference to developing countries. If you look at Africa, the... Um, uh, percentage of case increase is uh, 20% uh, nearly every day um, and the uh, death rate is quite high. In South America, the death rates are enormous. Over half a million people are dead in um, in Brazil, for example. This is where vaccines will make a very big difference. They will stem the death rate and really stem the tide of infection. Given those climbing death rates and infection rates in lower-income countries, should we be concerned about them actually having the health workforce available to get these vaccines into the community's arms? Oh, absolutely, and that's where all the different agencies are trying to work together. So UNICEF is procuring and distributing vaccine. They're helping also with the actual putting of needles in arms, but Médecins Sans Frontières, Sans Frontières, Doctors Without Borders, Care Australia, World Vision Australia, they're all helping on the ground in countries that need it, where there's a lot of COVID, where they need uh, better care, where they need better um, hospital uh, admission, uh, where they need oxygen. And together, all the charities are working very nicely. But if you want to get ahead of the game, then give for vaccination now because the need is right now. Africa has said we're going to make vaccine on the continent in South Africa, but it won't be available for a year. We need the vaccines to get to the needy right now as soon as possible. And if people donate before June the 30th, they have the opportunity of um, a tax deductible. But even next year, it'll be tax deductible. So as soon as you can, it'll be great to give. And speaking of all of those agencies internationally who are getting involved in this space and helping lower-income countries achieve higher vaccination rates, what does that look like in the scheme of COVAX, which a lot of people would be familiar with? Well, UNICEF um, uh, is really one of these key organisations that everybody will work with and work for, and that's why it's really, really good that UNICEF is involved. So COVAX, uh, like a lot of these ideas is a is is really simply vaccines on paper it's not really delivery 
I think one of the nice things about all the things Robert just spoke about, all those organisations working with UNICEF, is that these are people on the ground and they will make sure that the vaccines do get into people's arms. But of course, they need the money to be able to purchase them. Uh, and, and that's why this initiative is so good. Both of you have been uh, exceptional commentators in a lot of ways of the COVID-19 pandemic and now the vaccine rollout. I was wondering if you know much about how manufacturing and the constraints around manufacturing, the number of particularly mRNA vaccines as we go forward, may also constrain the efforts to have the developing world vaccinated at a high rate. Yes, I might make a quick comment, Robert, if that's okay. The, You're much um, better to comment on it, this than me, Gary. Go on. <laughs> Look, the um, production of vaccines, no matter what kind it is, whether it's a viral vector vaccine or mRNA or a traditional protein or virus vaccine, um, is a very fickle process. It really is in many ways fraught with danger. It's not just like turning on a tap or making a cup of coffee. It's, uh, there's a lot of QA, QC, uh, all the quality control that's involved. Uh, there's the good manufacturing um, uh, processes involved, which are very, very important. Um, safety is paramount. So everything has to go right uh, in terms of batch release and other tests that are done prior to the vaccine going into humans. If it's made in the US, which these ones are for the moment, um, uh, like the mRNA vaccines um, are made overseas at the moment, then they have to get here. There are logistical issues, importation issues. There's a lot of what we might call red tape, but very important red, red tape. You want all those things checked and ticked off. And then there are limitations in the actual process. It isn't quite bucket chemistry where you can just sort of make as much as you want uh, these are tricky chemical or fermentation processes, depending on the on the on the method, um, and it takes time to make uh, these vaccines. Although the rollout in Australia, for example, has been criticised, um, there's there's actually um, issues with the vaccines coming in and then uh, being released, um, and it's better that these things actually take a little time and are done very, very carefully. So um, there, there, there are practical issues and there are limitations in the manufacturing process right from the beginning to the last stage, which is the fill and finish, and then the rollout into communities. It's never instant. It all takes time. Uh, and um, certainly an order put in today might take three to four months to get here, not because of the company that makes it, but for all the important uh, control steps on the way to ensure that that vaccine is safe. And as a lot of people in nations like Australia are really starting to look forward to life returning to some resemblance of how it used to be with vaccination, the reality is that unless we have all countries vaccinated, that's just not going to happen. What are both of your thoughts in terms of ramping up international production, particularly allowing COVID-19 vaccine patents to be wavered so that we can have mass production in countries that are close to the nations that need the most? Well, my simple reply, Francine, is that we've already got tremendous uh, production of many billions of doses going on. It's a distribution. That's the issue right now. If we 
throw away the patents, which could be done if, if everyone agreed at the World Trade Organization to do that, it would still take a year before production in, um, in Africa or South America would, could be producing a lot of vaccine. What we need is to redistribute. What we need is to redistribute what's coming out right now, and get it to the places that need it. And that can be done. Um, that needs willpower. That needs governmental decisions. That means people at the G7 and uh, the United Nations get together and say, how can we uh, better protect everybody with the with the supply we already have? And I, I think that's doable. But I think by Working through COVAX um, via UNICEF, we can each individually make a difference, not rely on governments to do their thing, which is slow and clunky, but do something now of our own accord by donating. No, I was just going to add to that that the other issue is that even if patents um, were released, so to speak, uh, developing countries would take a long time to get this technology up and running, and they can really only do it in conjunction with big farmer and developed nations, people that have experience. have to remember it, it takes experience to make a vaccine to a very high level of quality, to a very high standard. And the technology and training, more importantly, of staff and so on, is at this stage all with big farmer in the West who are making these vaccines very, very successfully. It takes time to transfer that technology and training. It's not just a question of releasing a patent. And so that in itself will take years. So it's good that developing countries, and they must be encouraged, that their governments wish to make vaccines locally or regionally, and that's very important. Good examples are India and South Africa, uh, Thailand and Brazil that are trying to make their own vaccines. We also see it in uh, South, South Korea. Uh, this is great, but it does require um, um, interaction between those that are trained and successful and those that want to get started. So it requires extraordinary cooperation between manufacturers uh, supported by government, uh, and that's, that's important. And then there's a whole regulatory world uh, surrounding all that that also has to be convinced um, in terms of the process and the safety of the vaccine before it's released locally. I'm sure that some health professionals are probably thinking if they give a donation to this cause, they would like to know that the people in the nations that are getting these vaccines, that they're being given drugs of the same standard that they would be willing to get in their own arm, for example. I was wondering if you could tell me in international collectives such as this and efforts on the ground, what jurisdiction usually applies in terms of the, the vaccines that can be rolled out in these nations? I would just say that, you know, many countries are currently using uh, Chinese-developed vaccines and they appear to be working, but we need to evaluate how effective they are. Uh, most of the vaccines available in the US are being redistributed to other countries, uh, including the, the Janssen product, Pfizer, uh, the product we've used a lot of, which is AstraZeneca, is being redistributed uh, to other countries. Um, there are uh, newly developed vaccines from Russia and Cuba, which appear to be effective, and they are being used by some countries. So it's, it's a mishmash, um, but it's happening. Um, and in the main, um, quality vaccines are being distributed. We always worry about copies and inappropriate uh, intellectual property infringements, 
um, but most people will get a quality vaccine in their arm. Yeah, there's also a WHO pre-qualification system for countries that have uh, don't have the regulatory resources to approve a vaccine. And then by getting WHO pre-qualification, which involves audits and evaluation, um, the local regulators who may not be strong in the area of regulation of vaccines can then use that WHO certificate uh, to register a vaccine and then distribute it within the country. Thank you both so much. I know that I haven't been vaccinated myself, but I'll be looking to pay it forward so that someone else can get vaccinated overseas. Thank you both. Oh, we really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks very much, Francine. Before we go, don't forget that you can follow or subscribe to The Tea Room right now by searching for the show on the podcast player of your choice. You'll then be notified when a new episode becomes available. Catch you next time.